Bet365 sponsors 5,000 to 1 and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The new season has begun and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or any time goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the game live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and texts. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to 5000 to 1, the Athletics Leicester City podcast. I'm Rob Tanner. As ever, joining me, my co-host and uh, ex- expert and legend of the club, Matt Elliott. How are you doing, Matt? Long time no speak. Yeah, I'm good, Rob. I'm good, Rob. Thank you. Um, ex-expert, is that what... <laughs> Does that <laughs> no, mean that's just my stutter. I used to have half a clue what I was on about, but I'm happy to be called any sort of expert, Rob, whether past or present. But um, yeah, good to get chatting again and good to get the season uh, running again in its entirety, hopefully, on on this time round. Oh, absolutely. We're we're, uh, only a few uh, days away from the start of the new campaign. It'll feel very different, but uh, exciting nonetheless. And joining us today to represent the supporters is Ian Basson, the chairman of the Foxes Trust. Ian, how are you? Uh, Fine, thank you. Well, you didn't sound too certain. (laughs) Well, coping with these changed times, you know. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And we'll be tackling uh, some of those issues as well, the return around the return of supporters in this podcast. But to kick it off, Matt, we've got a new sign-in. It's been uh, a while coming, but we've got one. It hasn't been confirmed by the club yet, but we understand it's all done and dusted. Um, £18 million deal, rising to £21.5 with add-ons. Timothy Castanier from Atalanta, the Belgian international fullback. What have you made of this guy? I'm, I'm, I've written a piece for The Athletic. It's online now uh, for the readers to go and uh, check that out. Um, and I spoke to some of the people that were involved in his development at Genk when he was a young man. And they tell me he's a very promising, very athletic uh, fullback that can play either side, but predominantly right-sided. How do you think he's going to fit into the big picture at Leicester? Yeah, um, that is a good question, actually, in terms of where is he going to fit in? Because myself, like many others, I don't honestly know too much about him in terms of having seen him previously and you know you're doing your homework and trying to find out what type of player he is as you've just mentioned and you're trying to assess uh, the thinking behind the signing and uh, you know when you look at it the all accounts is predominantly a right-sided fullback can play left side as well can also play in advanced areas uh, further forward um, and you know, I suppose you don't want to label him as a utility player, do you? Because, but it, it seems very much that he's multi-purpose, has that adaptability. And I just wonder, because you look at the right backs situation. I mean, James Justin can play both right and left, um, more orthodox right back, and of course Ricardo Pereira on the left hand side. You've got cover with Fuchs and Thomas, and I think people are predominantly looking at that position to be filled, aren't they? You know, there's rumours going around that Leicester may be looking at a, an out-and-out left-back. Um, in, in particular, uh, Jamal Lewis from Norwich has been mentioned of late, so we'll have to see how that one develops. But with, with Castanier, I, I think, you know, it, it seems like a sensible 
option, doesn't it? You know, he's a player who's who's on the up. He, you know, he's hungry, but he's played at a, a very good standard already. You know, a good season there uh, where he's been at Atalanta. Leicester have had a little look at him up close and personal as well previously. And I just wonder whether also one of the extra options is perhaps he could slot in at right back and push Ricardo Pereira forward as and when he comes back to full fitness who knows oh absolutely I mean he is predominantly a wing back from what I'm I'm told he's got um, a very attacking instinct um, it makes me wonder though he's certainly not the replacement for Ben Chilwell that everybody's expecting no. because Leicester have been looking at him for over a year they um, uh, inquired about him last summer as well but uh, he had two years left in his contract then and the uh, Atalanta are not the easiest club to deal with. And whenever an English club could mean, um, you know, the, the prices suddenly soar. They have been looking at Robin Gossins, who is an out-and-out left-back yeah. uh, there. But I think they were quoted something like £40 million for him, which is they're not going to pay. And I know you mentioned Jamal Lewis there. And uh, I think Leicester were trying to look abroad because they see better value at the moment. So there's a perception there's a lot of money still washing around in the Premier League. And when you look at Chelsea, it's hard to argue against that. But I think they're the exception to the rule. And I think Leicester will be... Uh, more considered about the money they spend um, this summer. But in terms of Castagnier, I think he's, he's certainly going to be uh, somebody that's going to be cover for Ricardo. And I can see James Justin playing in a different role this year. We saw at the end of last season that um, Brendan seemed to like the three centre-backs role. Now he's short on centre-backs at the moment. Johnny Evans suspended and Wes Morgan, that concern of him limping off against Sheffield Wednesday there, and they still haven't brought in uh, another centre-back. James Justin could play on the right of the three, and you could see at the start of the season, Castanet on the right, and that would leave uh, young Luke Thomas playing as the left wing back at the start of the season. What a, a meteoric rise he's had. Can you see that happening? Can you see them keeping hold of, um, of, of young Luke? Because I thought they would put him out on loan, like a lot of the youngsters, to gain experience this season, as they did with Harvey Barnes. But needs must, he might have to stay. Yeah, this, it's all things to ponder, isn't it? And uh, you, you know, your point is uh, is a very sensible one as well. When you say that, I mean, in terms of with the European campaign coming up and being involved in so many tournaments or competitions, sorry, um, you know, in in one season, and it, it, you're going to have to sort of spread the load a little bit as well and be flexible. Brendan Rodgers is, you know, he is. I wouldn't say a master tactician, but he looks at the tactical side of the game, doesn't he? He tries to deploy different systems for different occasions. And, you know, we've seen already that he's not shy of switching the team round or the shape of it. Um, you know, albeit he probably has a favourite way of playing, but sometimes you have to accommodate the opposition a little bit or circumstances. So, you know, with Without doubt, uh, I think uh, you know, the back three will be utilised at some stage, probably in Europe more than other um, environments, really, because, you know, because of the nature of the competition. Um, you, you want to shore things up at times, etc. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Castagnier gives that, gives that flexibility, doesn't it? as does James Justin, as you say. You know, he's a full-back, stroke wing-back, stroke centre-half. There are not too many of them around. Very adaptable, very useful. And I think, as you say, the the money is not going to be flowing around, isn't it, at the moment? You know, for different reasons. The training ground at Leicester, the proposed extension to the the stadium itself. And, you know, uh, on on a business sense in terms of King Power, you know, they're going to be 
a little bit stretched at the moment themselves. And I know it's a separate entity to the football club, but, you know, it, it all has an effect, doesn't it? And, um, you know, times are difficult at the moment and Leicester are trying to sort of cut their cloth accordingly, but also improve the depth of the squad. And it's a, it's a tricky old scenario. And I think people need to be a little bit more patient, maybe, because more often than not, Leicester get it there or thereabouts, don't they, in terms of recruitment. Right now, we're offering listeners of this show the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our writing on Leicester City, including a profile on new signing Timothy Castanier by going to theathletic.com forward slash Leicester pod to sign up for a 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com forward slash Leicester pod. There was some uh, suggestion, certainly amongst fans on social media, that there was frustration growing that Leicester hadn't made a signing, and several of their their rivals um, in the top six um, had been splashing the cash. I mean, Chelsea's been um, splashing the cash extraordinary level. I think it's 140 million, and they haven't uh, finished yet. They're still going. Um, but what, what have you made of uh, that, that? The sense of the fans they wanted to see some signings when Chilwell left. They're desperate to see some bodies coming in. Do you think the arrival of Castanier will ease that frustration? I think it will to a degree. I mean, I think the one thing that obviously when everybody's used to transfer windows being closed about now, the fact it's got another month to go yet, I think, tends to be lost in the lost in the midst of time. Currently, um, I think one thing that I think. I've noticed Brendan mentioned a couple of times and, and certainly a direct conversation I had with the club that's been mentioned about a lot of the deals, this transfer window will probably be more loans than permanent transfers. And we've not really been linked with any loan signings this year, but I wonder if that may be an avenue where that will be used to, to boost the squad uh, rather than it being permanent signings. Now, whether that means you're looking at perhaps players that say, for example, Chelsea, who now must have a, and even more abundance of people in their squad, uh, whether there's players there that would appeal that could come in on loan to boost our squad, maybe. Because um, Chelsea, as you say, have really been splashing the cast. Um, and there's going to be very some very good players there that won't make their 25. Um, so I, I wonder if loans may well come into the mix. Maybe it might be a bit closer to the closing of the transfer window rather than permanent signings. Well, I think that would make sense, Matt, wouldn't it, really? Um, if you got loans in with a view... Uh, to permanent transfers when the financial picture was a little bit more rosy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're always a little bit wary of a a loan situation, really, more than a a permanent transfer in terms of the attitude of the player. But I think, you know, if you uh, you do your homework on it and the character of the player, it can be more than useful, can't it? And sometimes, depending on the the the, the circumstances. Um, of the of the individual really in, in terms of what they're looking to get out of it as well and obviously the club who are bringing the player in in this case Leicester um, it can fill a void in you know in the relative short to medium term that can help the development because you know you can look at it and think well okay are we going to get so far if and if and when things go well with that player and then all of a sudden he goes back to his is that the club that he's, he's signed with and you're back to square one a little bit, but it can help, you know, the development of the team as a whole and other players along, you know, in that short space of time and, uh, you know, put themselves in the window or it could be the case of a loan with a view to a permanent move. There are all sorts of permutations these days with the loan. And I think players are more, um, more accustomed to it 
really, than perhaps in times gone by. You know, even in the Premier League and in the top half of the Premier League, back in the day, it, it was it was a rarity, really, wasn't it? But now, I think it may become more of a feature because of the the uh, the landscape of how it is. But uh, as I say, straight away, you're thinking someone like Chelsea, they're going to have excess personnel within the squad, aren't they? And uh, they may be one, well be one to, uh, to have a little look at and, and bring players in at, at, at a later date if permanent signings can't be can't be made. Now, obviously, when a new signing uh, arrives in the summer, they are set to make their debut in front of a, a packed house on the opening day of this season. That's not going to be the case this year, Ian. It's been a strange time to be a football supporter, hasn't it? You know, you've, we've all become armchair fans because we can't get into the ground. There is a little glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the experiment that Brighton conducted uh, with their friendly against uh, Chelsea recently when 2,500 fans were allowed into the stadium, uh, socially distanced, and there was lots of procedures outside the ground. How that's going to work when we're getting towards figures of 10,000 being allowed into the ground, which hopefully we might have in October. But it is strange for fans now. It's a difficult time, and certainly with their season tickets as well. What are the issues that you've been dealing with as, a, as the trust and communicating with the fans groups around the country as well with, for similar issues as well? What are the fundamental issues that you guys have been dealing with now? Um, the, I mean, initially, it's kind of what, what what will a season ticket look like next for the current season, and, and and that's been very much not left to individual clubs. So, whereas we've been talking nationally about potential options, really, the Premier League have said kind of it's up to individual clubs what they do. Um, so, I mean, a bit of criticism was made of Leicester because there was this seventy pound upfront fee. Um, well, there's only actually one club of the 20 that um, has not asked for something up front um, and that's Manchester City who obviously have quite quite very rich owners anyway so maybe they could they could afford to do that but I mean a number of the other clubs have um, have carried on taking season ticket payments and then are going to refund one nineteenth of the season ticket every time the game's not attended which to me seems a far more convoluted way of doing it and also it means the fans are paying far more money up front because they've probably already paid say three direct debit payments by now um, so I think the way Leicester's done it is actually a, re- a reasonable one particularly when they uh, confirm that the £70 will be uh, refund well basically transferred to the following season if there are no completely full games this season at all which could still be the case well, we certainly hope that that doesn't happen, doesn't we, Matt? Because you and I have been covering games at the end of the last season uh, with no fans in the ground, and it has been eerie. The, the, I think it's really driven home. Uh, it should have driven home to uh, the powers that be that football without fans inside the stadium just isn't the same product. And whilst it seems like that the the, uh, the the deck is stacked in the favour of the armchair fan in terms of the access they get to games, we shouldn't be taking fans for granted those that put their hand in the pocket and pay to go week after week and create the atmospheres in which these players play. No, that's right. It's a, it's a little bit of a tricky one because I, you know, I, I do have a concern that down the line, not necessarily that fans will stop going, but that it will, you know, become even more accessible than it is um, via broadcasting outlets. Um, you know, the three o'clock kickoffs, etc., are being questioned already. And I think, you know, I think it's only a matter of time, as I say, that at some stage, the powers that be will, will see the cash that's, you know, that's makeable, earnable. And eventually, I think that, you know, they'll give in to that. But um, it, it, I don't know. And there's a bit of a sort of 
a treacherous area to go into, isn't it, really? Because you, you do worry. And if ever they need a reminding, you'd like to think that the, the people in charge wouldn't uh, need that. But when, you know, of late, you've seen the effect it's had on clubs at all levels, all levels. And, you know, people say that lower down more than the, the top clubs. But, yes, it's, it's more damaging. But it's, it's just as equally severe really I suppose you know to the to the big clubs as well although they they can mask it with the you know the broadcasting money can't they they can cover that um cover those wounds but it's yeah it, it would be uh would be such a shame if there was ever to get the stage where the audiences or crowd sorry you know started declining um it would probably be too late once that had happened so I don't think you can allow allow that the, the chance of that to creep in Really, it's got to be insured, and uh, I, you know, I, I think in most cases, I think people would probably be surprised at the amount of amount of supporters that would continue to, to turn up if there was gen, um, you know, general accessibility to watch the games um, on different outlets. But uh, it's a dangerous game to play, that's for sure, isn't it? Well, in the short term, when we haven't got access for fans into the stadium, Ian, it's one aspect that you guys have been looking at is the TV coverage and what sort of level of coverage fans can get. I mean, it's by no fault of their own that they can't go down to the stadium, the season ticket holders, and watch their beloved team every week. And now, after Project Restart, when all the games were accessible, they're not at the start of this season, although the first two away games, unless it have been picked for TV coverage. But you guys have certainly been working on um, a campaign to try and make sure that fans who can't get into the ground, certainly the disabled supporters who are the most vulnerable in this situation, um, they do get some access to watching Leicester City. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the campaign we've kind of ramped up over the last two weeks where it became pretty clear that the Premier League weren't really addressing it. Um, you've got two... Uh, elements of fans really as you say you've got uh, fans that will not go to the game because of health reasons until well basically until the vaccine exists i think would be the, the truth of the matter more than anything else so you're certainly talking full stadiums and, and vaccines so you probably maybe not even talking of uh, season ahead at all so they could be deprived from seeing many games uh, that aren't televised and then you also you've got the part um access stadium where say eight eight thousand go to to a game and probably each season ticket holder will go one every third game. So that means two out of three games they're not being able to watch live. Um, and the fact currently that, um, well, if you take Leicester's first home game against Burnley, um, that's traditionally when probably about 20,000 Leicester fans will see any new signings for the first time. They won't be able to see it at all because it's not being broadcast live. Um, and to us, that's fundamentally wrong. I mean, it, it is being broadcast live in all parts of the world, bar, bar Saudi Arabia and North Korea. So any City fan abroad can see it. But your regular season ticket holder who's been down there for 30, 40 years can't see that first home game of the season. And, and to us, that's just completely wrong. So we're campaigning to try and get the games televised until such point or, or covered, but be it by a stream. So it's accessible to, to fans until such time the stadiums are full again. Um, part of that is relaxing the three o'clock kickoff um ban of, of broadcasting that, that Matt mentioned but we've kind of made clear within within that that we support the three o'clock ban and once stadiums are back to full capacity the three o'clock ban should be reintroduced so long term we agree that should still stand and, and broadcast shouldn't be live at three but while we're in the current scenario 
um, we think that should be relaxed. But that access could maybe be online via streams. It could be via club websites. It could be via, via iFollow, which is how it's being done in the Champions uh, Championship and in the Football League. Um, we just want access so we can see our, our, our side continue to play until such time as we can be in the ground and watch them ourselves. So would this be uh, fans would pay for this access to this streaming uh, of the games? Yeah. Similar to a match ticket, obviously there wouldn't be the overheads and that, so it would be a lot cheaper, but um, they'd still be able to pay. So it wouldn't be free to everybody, it would be to the fans, the dedicated fans that were willing to uh, pay for that service. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we think, uh, if, you, if you take the case of, of our own club, you've got obviously you've got season ticket holders and you've got members who are both paying some money up front to the club to show their commitment to the club for, for membership or season tickets. We feel that those two categories of fans should be then given access, but paid access to games. Um, we don't we don't think it should be free. We think Project Restart was great, and that there were quite a number of free games that, that were on, which which was fine. We're not saying that that should be the case, but I mean, a season ticket holder will have been paying X per game to go to each game, you know, through its season ticket. So instead, pay a fee, be that five pounds, be that ten pounds, whatever whatever set to watch the game online. Um, but the access is only given to people who have committed as a, as a season ticket or a member. Wouldn't the big issue be a problem be here? The uh, the rights holders who have spent millions and millions on access to games and coverage, and Amazon are the uh, the latest ones to have come in and, and and started got involved in that as well. Can you see a lot of resistance from them though? Uh, the millions they've spent, how are they going to recoup that if fans are then uh, having a, a, another access to other games? Uh, only to a degree, and the reason I say that is because if you're talking about season ticket holders, they won't have been watching any of the home games on any of the platforms because they've all been in the stadium. So it's not as though they're losing revenue because the guys that, are, in effect, the only thing that the broadcasters could do by sticking with what they've got currently is, is gaining revenue. But to me, that's kind of taking advantage of a pandemic. Um, really, it's, it's a case of you're talking about fans who would normally be in the ground, therefore they wouldn't be watching it via um, any media channel. So instead, the media channel gets some revenue because obviously if they're paying £10 a game, you've got to believe that the broadcasters are getting at least a proportion of that um, to watch those games. So we don't feel it's a valid argument for the broadcasters to start going back to the Premier League and asking for a, a better deal because uh, it, there's another way of accessing the game uh, because the fans would have been accessing the game normally anyway by putting their bums on the seats in the ground. What do you think, Matt, of uh, that proposal? Uh, personally, I want as many supporters as possible to be able to see as many games you know, of the team that they support. I mean, I find it frustrating that Leicester holds 32,000, let's say 29 of them are home fans. But there, there are, I'm sure Ian will back me up on this, there are tens of thousands more Leicester City supporters who would like to go and see the game that, that can't for whatever reason. And, uh, well, accessibility is, is limited, isn't it? Because you've got the season ticket holders and the... Um, you know the other supporters that are members, etc. And uh, there are uh, there there are cases for and against it. You you get it from the broadcasters. Understand that they want the exclusivity, but at the same time, you know, in this modern world, that that people are not able to go and to see the games in one format or another seems strange. Particularly in uh, the way things are at the moment, I think there should be. You know, a, a little bit of leniency shown uh, um, with what, the way that things are. I, I think Ian's got a very strong case. The way they've put it forward, that's a good point in terms of, 
you know, a counter argument, isn't it? So, well, hang on, uh, yeah, th th these supporters would ord ordinarily be sat watching. They just want um, the capability to to be able to watch it on a screen, which is, you know, obviously second best to watching it live. But then, I don't know. You, I suppose you can you can uh, make sure that it's only I don't know, season ticket or stroke members stroke ticket holders uh, of, of one form or another that are able to do that. That sounds a complicated route. And then you're still denying other people watching it. So I don't know. It's a hotbed, isn't it? It's a hotbed, that's for sure. But I think certainly in the short term, when supporters aren't allowed in the ground, as many people as possible should be able to watch it as they can. I, th I, think, I think we know realistically that if you said that it should be open to all fans to watch it, then you're never going to get that agreement from the broadcasters. Yeah. Um, which, which is why we think season tickets and members is, is a logical way of doing it because then you've got the strong argument as we would have been in the ground. So it, all we're trying to do is trying to see the game still. Um, yeah, no, so I know what you're saying with that, Ian, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know. Opinions will differ, but... The broadcasts are obviously going to be very protective, etc. But I, I think the majority of, the, for instance, if you're worried about like match of the day or something, you know, because you've seen the game earlier, you're not going to watch match of the day. And I, I don't think it would affect viewing in that context. You wouldn't. You'd still watch the highlights. I'm, I'm sure, as, as I would do. I mean, I, mean, I think that the, the the danger you've got with if the Premier League and the broadcasters don't sort this out, and and you do end up with them not being broadcast, is exactly as has just been mentioned. The illegal streams. Um, because you're basically driving fans down that route because if they're determined to see the games one way or the other, that will be the only route left open to them. And I think that's quite a dangerous game that the Premier League and the broadcasters will play if they don't make it legally accessible to fans because if fans start discovering illegal I mean, you'll end up with loads of people who have never used them before on illegal streams. And once that happens... They may think, well, okay, I can do this. I don't need my Sky subscription anymore. I'll watch illegal streams instead. So, so I think they need to think this through properly. That's happening already, isn't it? Yes. You know, to to a degree, if we're honest. Um, and again, you know, it's a it's a fine line for the broadcasters, you know, to consider it as well. And again, not advocating that route, but that is something that is occurring. That's right. And 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 the, the Premier League trust. I mean, the Premier League fans groups. We're we're talking at the moment, and we're kind of saying, well. If we don't get this agreement done between the Premier League and the broadcasters, do we actually start promoting illegal streams? <laughs> because we want our fans to see the, you know, we want the fans to see the games. We're not saying we're going to do that as yet, but it, it's being discussed. And and I think that's what what you know the Premier League and, and broadcasters need to think about. Will, will you actually drive the fans group to say, well, fellas, we're going to see our players play, and we're going to do it whatever way? And and I think that's the, the bit they're not really thinking about. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash athletic and pay the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of our show, you'll get two extra beers for free. So that's ten free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash athletic to get your free case. And don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. Well, it's all about 
a game to watch as well, isn't it? And there's another campaign that you guys are involved in. And obviously this is really tough times for um, clubs outside of the Premier League. And I don't think the Premier League clubs are not affected by uh, the lack of fans in the ground, the lack of revenue on match days. Um, but it's certainly felt um, in the Football League and lower. And uh, you guys are, are also part of a, a campaign, Sustain the Game. And can you just explain to us what the Sustain the Game campaign is? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, 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 I'll just outline briefly. There are five principles of it, really, and it, it's, it's issued by the Football Supporters Association. So the Foxes Trust is affiliated member part of that. So it's the National Fans Organisation that have released it, and it covers kind of five areas, and a lot of it's about making sure clubs are viable for the longer term, um, which has been a, a sort of main thrust of trust since we, you know, first exist. Really, I mean, if you think when the Foxes Trust set up, it was to help save the club as. As, as Matt will remember, because I know he got all the players signing up to the trust at the time. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the five principles kind of are, are to protect clubs. So recognise that football clubs are community assets um, and therefore deserve legal protection to secure their future, um, which is like the asset of community value, community value that we hold over the King Power Stadium. We've got no fears over our owners doing anything, but you never know who the next set of owners are. So, so we've held that for a number of years. Um, and then probably one of the key ones particularly is transparency um, and that's really the right for every fan to know who actually owns their club and who's the custodian of the club so I mean if you think of what's happened in the last 12 months at Wigan uh, where uh, the ownership's been transferred outside of the country and you've not really known who's owned it anymore Charlton's been a bit of a mess where two people were taking it over and then and then the two people that were taking over fell out with each other and then somebody else tried to buy it. And at the moment, nobody seems to know who really owns Charlton or not. Um, so it's kind of it's looking at that and making sure there's transparency, who does your own your club. And then um, obviously good financial controls. Um, so probably looking at FFP, but making it a, a much refined process than it is currently, because there's obviously a lot of gaps in, in there. Um, so Sheffield Wednesday end up with a ban for one season instead of another season because of breaking certain parts of a rule and Derby don't. And it, it's all a bit of a mess. So it, it's sorting that out. Um, and then obviously with COVID-19 particularly in mind, it's putting more money down the chain. So the Premier League, you know, you would say it's fairly awash with money when you look at the transfer fees being paid and the salaries being paid, but feeding money down the chain. So it's getting more to the championship and, uh, football league clubs and even non-league clubs so uh, clubs that are probably facing a difficult time in league one league two will they exist in, in a year's time that they're sustainable and to do that you've got to feed more money down down the line and then the final point really is supporter engagement where obviously fans are the lifeblood of the game and it's making sure that engagement takes place between fans and and the communities and and the clubs um, and you know, the, the, it's very variable across across even the Premier League how well engaged fans are with clubs. Newcastle Trust have a really poor relationship with Mike Ashley and, and really struggle to get any sense out of him. Um, whereas I would say our, our relationship is pretty positive with our club, which which is is good. Well, I know you guys meet regularly with the uh, the owners at uh, and the hierarchy at Leicester City. It's not the same everywhere else. There will be some resistance, certainly from the uh, the owners who put their money in and say, well, why do you qualify to have a say in the running of the club? It's my money that's financing this club or certainly uh, my investment in the club. But we've seen uh, across Europe how fan inclusion uh, in in the running of the club can also be a massive benefit. And I'm thinking particularly in Germany when there's a lot of fan groups that are involved. 
That's right. And I, th I think the model in Germany, I think, probably will become more prevalent in League One, League Two clubs. I, I, realistically, you're not going to see that in Premiership because of the finances. Um, but I think um, certainly I can see it more in, in the in the football league that more clubs will go that way over time um, because it's, a, it's kind of a sustainable approach. I mean, there are some clubs like it already, but I think it'll be a, be a growing area to happen again, particularly as a result of, of, of COVID-19 and, and the impact that's had on the clubs. Um, yeah, in terms of, of our engagement with the club, we, you know, we, we do pretty well. Um, I mean, throughout this situation from March onwards, I've been having probably about fortnightly conversations with the club about what's happening, what the plans are, um, so the engagement with the trust has been pr very good. Um, and I think that grew from, uh, f for a number of years, we struggled to have a, a meeting about the annual accounts just to go through them. Um, and we had the first meeting uh, within the annual accounts came out this year, uh, late February, early March. Um, and it was a very constructive conversation of, you know, we were given a copy of the accounts 24 hours before the meeting. We had a quick analysis of them and we were allowed to ask questions and we were given a briefing on them. And it's been agreed with the club that will happen on a yearly basis now. Um, and that's really good level of, of, of engagement, the, the type of engagement I think far more clubs should be doing and, and don't. Well, Matt, you've experienced it yourself, how fans can get involved in a club and help uh, in a situation. It seems like clubs only seem, seem to turn to the fans when they're in trouble. Um, but that seems to be changing now a little bit. But um, you experienced that yourself, as Ian said. You, you encouraged uh, supporters to get behind the trust when it was formed, when the club was in administration. What do you remember of those days? Yeah, I mean, it's going back a while now. But um, as, you, as you say, <laughs> you know, in times of need, the, the, the club... Clubs, or, you know, not necessarily um, labelling that at, at Leicester City alone, but you know, clubs look towards the supporters, you know, for assistance and help. But I think they need to take them into consideration um, a little bit earlier, you know, before that, and perhaps in, you know, in slightly different circumstances. But the, the supporters will give anything they can you know, to help the club out, and that hasn't always been the case across the board. In, in the English Football League and Premier League. But um, I, I think your, your penultimate point that you made, Ian, um, a couple of minutes or so ago, but, you know, in terms of the money being filtered down the league, you know, for me, that's an absolute no-brainer. I think it's bordering on scandalous how, how little is passed down. You know, the, the haves and have-nots. I, I know, OK, you can say, you know... It, They've, they've worked themselves up and because, you know, they're a big city club, etc., and all the trimmings that go with that. But, you know, football is more than an industry. I know a lot of people try and relate it to that these days and they're quite sort of clinical about it. But over decades and well, centuries even now, it, it, it's, it's about bringing communities together and supporters you know, enjoyment, a little bit of an escape from everyday life, whatever you want to call it. It's more than a business, more than an industry. And I think people should be looking after people a lot better within that industry. With your movement, in, it's wonderful to see supporters engaging with each other. And, you know, a lot of time there's rivalry and there's a barrier between opposing fans. But, you know, push comes to shove. Uh, you can all muck in together, and in the day we're all human beings, aren't we? We've all got a, you know, a similar, um, you know, a kinship for for the sport itself, for the game itself, of football, and we want to see as many people thriving as possible. And I think it's great that you actually 
crossing those those barriers and mucking in together and trying to make a very valid point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite funny actually at times because I think one of the, the favourite City fans' is, songs is, you know, singing third in a two-horse race to the Spurs fans. But in terms of the Spurs trust, it's probably one of the trusts we get on the best with in terms of working together. And, and we were probably the two trusts that instrumentally kicked off the, the campaign to get the broadcasting um basically accessible to all fans it was us two that initially talked about it and then it became a fsa campaign so um it is quite interesting you, you kind of have a different perspective chatting to other fans and understanding their frustrations i mean it's like on broadcasting we're, we're frustrated because we can't see the burnley game well the newcastle fans can't see any of their first three games none of them being televised and if you imagine the passion of newcastle supporters normally who are normally hawked all over the country at unusual times because of tv broadcasts first year that they're not they're not on tv is when they, they desperately need the tv to be able to see any of the games so so yeah. you know it's a uh, it can be uh, frustrating. I think it, any club worth their salt should consider the the opinions and, and the views of the supporters and you know i think i think irrespective of who the owners are or what part of the world they're from you know should come in and have an understanding of how football works in that particular country in this case it's england and uh, i think I think that's something that the owners of Leicester City, um, you know, can can hold their hands up with, and and, and it, you know the supporters will be happy with the, the involvement of the owners. I think the vast majority of the time, it's pleasing to hear that they're willing to hear what views they want to put across. Ian, we we wish you the very best of luck with it with the campaigns, and we really hope they uh, they go well. Unfortunately, we've uh, reached the end of this week's uh, podcast. We've run out of time, but we will be back next week with more chat about Leicester City as we preview the start of the new season. Ian, thank you very much for joining us. Matt, thank you once again for joining us, and I hope to speak to you again next season when we'll be previewing that opening day fixture at West Bromwich Albion, which we might be able to see. We might not. Let's hope so. Join us again next time on Five Thousand to One. 